This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. to McDavid, to Dreisaitl, he shoots and scores! Almost intercepted by Stone. Taking a look near the net and banking it off. Brossois is Leon Dreisaitl. His second of the game has the Oilers back in it. McDavid now from the corner. Takes a look, Bouchard, Bouchbaum. Brossois the save, rebound. It's a hat-trick for Leon Dreisaitl. And this game is tied. In the third, McDavid with Hyman driving to the net. Dreisaitl shoots, scores! A four-goal game for Leon Dreisaitl has the Oilers within one in the third. Back-to-back four-goal nights in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Joe Pavelski does it for the Dallas Stars. And then last night, Leon Dreisaitl accomplishes the same feat for the Edmonton Oilers. Unfortunately for Joe and for Leon, their teams got the same result despite their superhuman performances. Oilers fall in game one to the Vegas Golden Knights by a 6-4 count. And trail that series one game to nothing. And we'll look for uh, a couple of other key players on their team too. Help in with the scoring when game two comes around in just a few days' time. But who thought we'd be sitting here on back-to-back nights after talking about that incredible Joe Pavelski performance and uh, seeing it matched just one night later by Leon Dreisaitl. Welcome to Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Uh, Yes, lots to go to in the Stanley Cup playoffs last night. Two more game ones in the books, Oilers and Golden Knights. We'll talk Canes and New Jersey Devils as well. But lots to get to on the show today. We'll chat with Peter Labardius coming up in just moments to kick off the program. The Calgary Wranglers were in action last night against the Abbotsford Canucks in their second-round playoff series as well. So we'll chat with Sandra Persina, the voice of the Calgary Wranglers, uh, coming up a little bit later on this hour. Plus, uh, a special look at the Seattle Kraken coming up in hour two. Everett Fitzhugh, the play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken, going to join us. They're up one nothing on the Dallas Stars after a Yanni Gord. Overtime winner in game one that uh, spoiled the night for Joe Pavelski and the Dallas Stars. Can they go up 2-0 in this series And because they continue to prove people wrong and uh, prove they're not just uh, an expansion team here for fun. They are uh, a legit contender this year, and they can make some real noise tonight if they do happen to win and go up 2-0 on the Dallas Stars. So lots to get to. Uh, thanks for sticking along, whether you're live or uh, listening on the podcast. Reminder, you can always get a hold of us on the show. And 960-960, the fan feedback line, always open to you. Let's kick things off like we always do, heading down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to say hello to the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. He is Peter Labardius. He's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. They know your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. They're now offering air miles, reward miles, and you can visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, pal? 
I am excellent. I am excellent. Good to hear. Uh, how about uh, starting the show off on back-to-back days, talking about four-goal performances? I mentioned Pavelski goes first, and then Leon Dreisaitl does it again last night for the Edmonton Oilers. What a performance uh, from number 29. Well, it was a great performance, and I think the most interesting thing that ties it together is that neither team won the game. I know. So, so um, yeah, individually awesome nights. But again, tells you in a team sport that others who certainly tried to make their mark on the game in other ways didn't do it as well. And when I think about, A, the performance um, speaks for itself in this regard. You know, Leon Dreisaitl is truly, you know, one of the top five players on planet Earth. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And people don't even talk enough about his ability to win face-offs. Um, you know, just, I, I don't ever remember a player really in the game with the ability to make plays equally as well on the forehand side and the backhand side. And it was funny because... Logan, I, I vividly remember watching him. Um, I was doing some work at the time with Shaw Television when he was in Prince Albert in the Western League. And I remember the first game I watched him. And, you know, I'd heard great things. And he was a high pick in the Western League import draft. And that's what I was taken away by was his ability to make plays off both sides. And... You know, he's an incredible talent. He had an incredible night. He had five shots on goal, and four of them turned on the red light. But his team, um, you know, chased that game a lot. And we've talked a lot about games with the Flames this year where they didn't let their good work breathe long enough. Absolutely. And that's where... I was taken to last night as I watched that game unfold for Edmonton is every time something good happened for them, then they would turn around and make key mistakes and allow, you know, Vegas to once again, jump back in. And it was a very, you know, high event, uh, not the world's best checking game on either side. And, If I'm Vegas, I'm feeling very fortunate in this respect. I don't think you want to get into many 5-4 kind of games with that group because it generally favors them. But going into the series, for me, it was the the Oilers high-flying, you know, elite people against what I still like as, an excellent group of six and a group of forwards where there's not a lot of drop off, you know, up and down their lineup. So Vegas wins night one. It's going to be a long, long series, I believe. And I will say this, that's pretty good entertainment in game one. Uh, Yeah. No one's going to disagree with that. Um, and then to your point, Leon Dreisaitl opens the scoring at 3.56 in period one on the power play. Barbashev responds at 4.36. And then uh, Leon opens the scoring in the third period on the power play as well at 135, 2.36. Barbashev 
with his second of the night. So less than a minute each time, Lou, when something good happened for Edmonton, the Vegas Golden Knights were able to strike back and take away that momentum. Yeah, bump up shifts, um, how you start periods, how you close periods. It just It's so essential in terms of trying to build momentum that, you know, you give yourself an opportunity to feed off what you do best. And they couldn't really do it last night, and in the end it cost them game one. So Oilers down one nothing in their series. They look to bounce back uh, coming up on Friday night against the Golden Knights. The other game one we had last night, Peter, was the uh, New Jersey Devils and the Carolina Hurricanes. And this one, uh, pretty one-sided from the start. The Carolina Hurricanes took care of business last night against the New Jersey Devils and what I think was probably as close to their most complete performance uh, as I've seen from Carolina this postseason. Well, I would call it uh, a CC. And in this case... It's not for my favorite beverage, and it's not for my favorite play-by-play guy, Chris Cuthbert, either. It's a Carolina clinic, because that's what I watched last night. Um, Their first period was about as close to being perfect in hockey terms. They gave up one shot. Um, Their details were exceptional almost all night long. They used their speed, Logan, as well to take things away as they do to create. That was vintage Rod Brindamore, Carolina Hurricanes hockey. And they can't really play much better than they did in game one. Yeah, that's uh, that's as, as well as you can put it, Lou. I don't know how else you can. They were suffocating. They didn't let New Jersey get that speed through the neutral zone, which is so... So important. The Devils use that to their advantage, Luke, so well because they've got the young guys with that speed and they, they find it, they get it going. They create so many problems in the offensive zone. I, I couldn't think of more than one or two instances where they really got off clean through the neutral zone and created that offensive pressure. They're going to have to find a way to do that or else they're in trouble in this series. Well, they, they are. And again, with, with elite people um, and your ability – that game last night from Carolina, you know, without the high-end star power and Crosby and Malkin took me back to those back-to-back Pittsburgh Penguin championships um, in 16 and 17. And why I say that is because in those two years, as much as it was about the Penguin star power, to me it was about just how diligent and detailed and how they use their speed and skill to get pucks back and take away time and space, which really is what the game is about. It's, you know, in a lot of different cases, Logan, um, and it can be a real problem at times with elite and premier players, is do they work as hard and do they use their skill set and their speed as much to get it back as they do when they have it. Everybody always seems to find more energy when they're going in one direction than they do in the other. Yeah. But, you know, when we have talked the last couple of years, you know, and I thank Ryan Huska very much for this a couple of years ago at a preseason game that I chatted with him and Derek was there too in Winnipeg about, you know, the terminology is not defending, it's checking. And 
the Carolina Hurricanes with that speed, with their details. And it was one of those nights, again, if you took a photograph everywhere on the ice all night long, you'd usually find four, if not five, Hurricanes in that photograph. And that means you're incredibly connected. They were in all three zones. Um, They played a masterful hockey game. Uh, just going to adjust a bit here, Lou, because we got some news coming down that uh, I think you'd like to uh, to comment on. And Pat had suggested this not long ago uh, on Flamestock and on his Twitter feed, but it was confirmed just a few minutes ago by USA Hockey that uh, Matt Coronado will indeed join the uh, national team that heads to the World Championships in Finland and Latvia coming up uh, later this May. So Matt Coronado will be part of that roster. He's going to be the only Flame uh, represented on Team USA's initial roster, Lou. But uh, just talk to me a bit about what you think this kind of experience can do for young Matthew Coronado after making his NHL debut. I, I think it's absolutely awesome. And I think it is for virtually any young player, and especially for Matt Coronado, it, it's a different experience. And it's an experience that primarily will integrate him into playing with pros. It's another opportunity, and he's had a couple already to play for his country, as he did last summer and played very, very well in Edmonton at the at the World Junior, the summer edition of it in 2022. Um, I Listen, I, I'm, I'm the easiest sell in the world, for sure, on all those events. But outside of, you know, being somebody who has won, somebody who has accomplished a lot at a professional level, I don't see how you don't benefit. You know, you're around all kinds of different players, different skill sets. Um, You know, you play a lot of games in a short span of time. I just think, I think it is a marvelous opportunity for anybody who gets a chance to represent their country. And, you know, I don't know how many Flames are going to end up doing it or wanting to do it, but I can't really think of a better way to help erase a very frustrating, trying time than to get juiced up about playing for your country and playing for a world championship. And, no, it's not necessarily the Stanley Cup. But you get better in big games. I've always believed this, Logan. You get better because the more big games at any level just helps you prepare to achieve. And, you know, I think in the Flames case, and they haven't always had guys who have been willing or who have wanted to do it or saw it or deemed it necessary. In fact, I think at times, even in the course of the organization, um, and I wouldn't say that since Brad has been there, and I think even Brad, when Brad was the general manager of the 2016 team that won a gold medal, I think that even impressed upon him about the difference and winning and being a part of it and, and learning from not only your own players, but other players. Plus, you get to, you know, potentially go to places in the world you've never been. So, I guess that's my uh, world championship speech. <laughs> no, I, I love it, and I think it's a great experience for Matt, and I think he's only going to get better, and you know the difference, Lou, for him 
really only getting a sample size of what it's like to play against men and play at this level. It's a great opportunity for him to go, and it's not a star-studded American roster. He's very likely to see a good amount of, of ice time and get that experience. That's just And that makes it even better. Exactly. Right? And, and, and who are you going to play against? Like, that's the thing, too, that people don't think about, is it's not just you know, the reps of who you're playing with or who you're playing for, but the competition that you're going up against. And that, you know, when you're playing some of the countries, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen virtually at this point any preliminary rosters, but I know this. I know the Finns will have a great team. I know the Swedes have an opportunity. I think... Our team will be just fine when it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. Those are great experiences because the more elite kind of people you have to go up against, the better you're going to be for it. Yeah, man, that's that's just for for Matt, who's just dipped his toe in the last couple of weeks of the NHL season. I think it's a great decision and. One that won't surprise you, Lou, but you know, you know, Craig Conroy's on that Team America, so that Team USA staff, and probably would have been a big influence in getting Matthew uh, invited to the team, and you know, helping him make that decision too. Absolutely, and uh, I know that Craig's been involved in in a lot of their teams over the years, and and he sees great value in it, and. You know, certainly I completely share those sentiments depending on, you know, your situation as a player. Have you done it before? What have you accomplished? But for this situation, um, I can't see one single downside. Peter Labardius along with us. He's the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. The fan joins us every single day to kick off the program and uh, just going through some of the news and notes around the NHL and another night of Stanley Cup playoff action. And, uh, Lou, it's also the season uh, of awards and finalists being announced. And last night uh, we got our finalists for the Calder Trophy, and I wanted to bring this up with you because uh, I think it's one of the more fascinating classes uh, of rookies that we've gotten for this Calder Trophy. And it's an interesting one because one of them's still playing, two of them still playing, as a matter of fact, and, uh, the third one is is certainly in contention as well. Matty Beneers, Owen Power, and Stuart Skinner uh, are your three finalists for the Calder Trophy. And uh, I don't vote on any of these, but, man, would I have a hard time going through it this year is as tough as any. Beneers having such a great impact on Seattle. Power led the league, uh, led rookies 23-48 time on ice. And we know what Stuart Skinner has done in the net in Edmonton. Just a, a great class and even some names that weren't finalists that probably could have been in this mix as well this year. Yeah, it's 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 what I would call, Logan, a very unique group of three. Three different, you know, positions to begin with. That's not always the case. In fact, you know, I don't even remember the – I probably should, but I, I'm not a guy that always focuses, as you know, on awards because they don't mean – as much to me as winning and losing ever does. But yeah, it's, it's, it's Beneers is a marvelous player. Marvelous. Um, don't love the passport, but he's a marvelous <laughs> player. Sorry, Craig Conroy. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's, you know, I'll always have fun with that Canada U S thing in hockey. Yeah. Um, 
but he's a, just a tremendous two-way player. Um, you know, Stuart Skinner has – what I've really loved about Stuart Skinner is, A, he's a, he's a really, really good young person. And, you know, I, I think even though he's an oiler, uh, it's been really great, Logan, to be someone who, like, vividly remembers him playing for the Southside Athletic Club and helping them do, you know, a U15 provincial title and what he did in the Western League. In fact, I was at his very first Western League game, and it didn't go very well in his 15-year-old season at the Saddledome for Lethbridge. Um, then he gets moved to Swift Current. He was absolutely sensational in the run to the league title in 2018 and the Memorial Cup. You know, and to see him now at 22-23 doing what he's doing at the NHL level, it, it's terrific. And as far as Owen Power, he's well-named. He is a stud. And all Mr. Power is going to do is get better and better and better. Um, every single physical attribute you could ever want already, like you said, like that is an incredible accomplishment to be his age and play almost 24 minutes a night already. Mm -hmm. Think about how good he's going to be at 25 or 26. Ridiculous. Like, and, and, and the, and the right passport Um, (laughs) already has, has a world men's championship gold medal to his credit. I was going to say, ask him about how that probably helped his process too. Well, I did. Absolutely. Um, you know, in some ways that really, really put him in a different place as a guy who was a seventh or eighth defenseman when that tournament started. And then he became a 20 minute a night guy and arguably the best guy on that gold medal winning team um, in Latvia. So it's, it's a unique class. It's, you know, well-represented positionally with a forward, a defenseman and a goalie. And I don't have to make the choice, and I'm glad because it would be very, very <laughs> difficult. It absolutely would be. We'll continue to watch out as those awards finalists come down over the next couple of days here. And uh, before we let you go, Lou, uh, some sad news in the NHL world today, but uh, I thought I'd bring it up with you and see what memories you have of Peter Klima, the Oilers legend, uh, for a number of reasons there, passed away at the age of 58, gone Way too soon, but a guy that played 13 NHL seasons, uh, 30 goal scorer in his time in Detroit, Edmonton, Tampa, Pittsburgh. He played all over the place and uh, scored a huge goal for the Edmonton Oilers in their history. And uh, just unfortunate that he passes away at such a young age. Well, we didn't we didn't end up having the 1983 and 84 World Junior tournaments on on television. Um, but Peter Klima played in back-to-back tournaments for then what was Czechoslovakia and had two great tournaments and heard about this young star who it would not be very long before he made an appearance in the NHL. Um, You know, just so sad. And when you're about to turn 58 yourself and somebody passes in their home um, at 58, I think it even hits you a little harder despite 
you know, what you know of him in hockey. I, I remember seeing him early in his career in the NHL, and he reminded me actually in some ways as the right-handed version of Vladimir Krutov. You know, he kind of had that short, stocky build. He was right-handed. Krutov was left-handed, um, highly skilled, could make plays, could shoot it. Um, needless to say, you know, my memory of Peter Kleeman, the one that sticks out, really isn't much different than I'm guessing you'd hear from a lot of people of my age who were actually born um, at this point in time. But, you know, the triple overtime winner after the lights and the delay in the 1990 final in Boston, um, obviously, to me, was his most dramatic and most important NHL goal as the Oilers you know, won that 1990 Stanley Cup with their victory over the Boston Bruins and in the Stanley Cup final. But uh, skilled and just the other S word is sad. Yeah. And just, again, a a daily reminder. And and I find myself um, answering some of these questions a lot lately about young people who are either known through a sports association or a friendship or an acquaintance. And it's just, I think, really, again, a reminder to all of us that and I'm pretty good at sweating the small stuff, but we only are, we're only here once. So, again, another very sobering reminder about being focused and having your mindset on the positive things about your life rather than the negative stuff. Well said, pal. Uh, thank you for the time, as always. Looking forward to uh, our final Friday edition of uh, of the hit uh, yeah. coming up tomorrow. Awesome. Yeah, hard to believe. It's all winding down. I know. Friend. It's all winding down. Have a great afternoon. All right. Though. You too. See you now. Peter Labardius, color voice of the Calgary Flames, right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, he joins us every single day down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. They know your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. Now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. And yes, Friday, our final hit with Lou. Final scheduled hit with Lou uh, as we let him go off for the summer and uh, not worry about jumping on the air with us every single day. Uh, Of course, he'll be around with their Flames news. We'll get his reaction to all that sort of stuff. But uh, our final scheduled hit goes tomorrow. And that means one more edition of What Does Lou Say? You still have a chance to get your question in. For what does Lou say? Sportsnet.ca slash 960 contest tab. Hit what does Lou say? Ask Lou a question. I don't know about the Flames GM, Flames coaching search, anything hockey related. We just touched on 15 different hockey topics with the guy. Draft is coming up. You've got a burning hockey question you want to ask Lou. Go do that. We'll pick a question. If yours is answered on Friday, you'll win a $200 gift card to go visit our great friends at Bruce Chris Steakhouse, our final edition of What Does Lou Say coming up tomorrow on the program. We will take a break, come back on the other side. The Calgary Wranglers just missed out on an opportunity to sweep away the Abbotsford Canucks, but they're still up in their series and still in the driver's seat. We'll talk to the voice of the Calgary Wranglers, Sandra Persina. She joins us next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Here's Matthew Phillips. 
drops it for DeSimone, and he rifles it in. His fifth point of the playoffs, and the blue liner cuts the lead to one. Unfortunately for the Calgary Wranglers, that Nick DeSimone goal would be the closest they would come last night to coming back and beating the Abbotsford Canucks in game three of their second round series in the Calder Cup playoffs. But the Wranglers still in the driver's seat with a 2-1 series lead. And they'll get set for game four Friday in Abbotsford with another 8 o'clock puck drop right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. And now very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Check in with the voice of the Calgary Wranglers. You're here right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan, including last night's matchup in Abbotsford. Uh, Sandra Persina joins us uh, this afternoon. Sandra, thanks for doing this as always. How are you? I'm doing well, bud. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, tough one last night for the Wranglers. A close one. Can't quite finish it out, but uh, I think we knew Abbotsford was going to put up a pretty good fight in Game 3. Yeah, coming back to their home rink, really just a fantastic building, by the way. My first time here fits about 6,000, and they were just into it from that opening puck drop every hit. Every pass, every shot on goal, they were on top of it. So you have to know when your back is against the wall, you're able to feed off the energy of that crowd. And I think we know just following hockey as long as we have that. The clinching game is always the toughest one to win. And Abbotsford playing like their lives depended on it and definitely deserved the victory last night. And it's not totally unnew to territory for the Wranglers in this either, Sandra. The first two games went to overtime, and I wouldn't have been all that surprised if Game 3 wound up going to overtime. It just seems like these two teams are destined to play close games against each other. Yep. I mean, we're looking at it right now. We've got three one-goal games, and there's not a lot that separates these two teams on the ice because for the Canucks, you've got two very good goaltenders, two of them actually, that had NHL experience this year. Spencer Martin looked really good, commanded the crease well last night, and Artur Silov's in game number two was also very strong. I think for Calgary, just one of those things that the Wranglers struggling with a little bit right now is the details, and I don't know if that is just like a carryover from having that extended break after the regular season wrapped up, and then you get the bye, and you're waiting for your opponent. You can practice as much as you like, but it certainly doesn't always translate into game play, let alone playoff game play. So they're still sort of trying to find their footing. First line has looked pretty good as expected, but I find that the second line right now still just learning the intensity of hockey. I think both Walker Dewar and Connor Zeri would admit at this point that they'd like to be a little bit more productive. Now, to stay on the positive side of that, I think Dryden Hunt has looked fantastic for Calgary. He did look great in the regular season, and that's translated into the postseason. But for the Wranglers right now, it's about getting everybody on the page when it comes to scoring, and this is one of those things I think you grow into as the playoffs roll along, but they're really looking towards that second line to get on the score sheet. And it's interesting, too. I wonder how much of it Sandra plays, too, that there was a, another gap in between games two and games three for this group. I'm sure having the first round off, the Wranglers probably would have preferred to not see so much time in between games and sort of maybe keep a bit of that momentum going from the first two games in Calgary into the first one in Abbotsford. 
Yeah, that's a really good point because I went to practice on Sunday and it was super optional. The players got most of the weekend off and that makes sense, you know, just so they can regroup after those two overtime losses. But I think you were, or excuse me, overtime wins. But I think if you were to ask the players, they'd actually say your point right there. You want to continue playing and you just want to continue to roll with these lines, get this chemistry going once again because when you look back at the end of the season you had Jacob Pelche Walker Dewar up with the big club and these are two really key components of the Wranglers so you want to get them acclimated to the AHL environment once again and I just wonder if there's been a little bit of an adjustment period there from for both of those players Matthew Phillips it's fascinating I mean you look back on that first game and he gets the spearing call he's done for the game he comes back and they are absolutely targeting him I have no doubt that the name Matthew Phillips is on the whiteboard in the Abbotsford Canucks dressing room right now and they're like just get this guy I've never in my time seen anything like this where one player is taking an absolute beating every single night and I mean, you've, <laughs> you've got to applaud Matthew Phillips because he continues to just get up, brush himself off, and continues to play. But they're going to have to make some adjustments because yesterday I think that Abbotsford, and I apologize if I'm driving the conversation in a different direction. Nope, but, no problem. Um, yeah, I just feel that Abbotsford just had that physical edge and Calgary wasn't able to recover. So they need to find a way to match that intensity. A hundred percent. And it's, it's one of those things too, where, you know, having to adjust to the different scenarios, the different you know, setting to everything. It's, it is different. And I know a lot of people who are still getting used to the, the way the AHL goes about things. And everyone was asking over the first couple of games, the ones we had here on sports, the nine sixties, why are we going for to Abbotsford for three, four and five? <laughs> well, no, it's, it's the way the Wranglers chose things. It's, it's a bit different for everybody, but it's, you know, how they wanted things. And look, you, you came in Abbotsford up 2-0. I don't think you can ask for anything better than that. But uh, you're talking about a team that you played a lot during the regular season. It has a good book on on your team. These are going to be some of those struggles that you're going to have against an opponent that you know very well. Yeah, I mean, looking back on that regular season series, Calgary with the edge 8-4, to but Abbotsford actually won three of the last five, including two of them that came in the middle of April, right before the playoffs began. So Abbotsford getting a decent book on Calgary leading into the postseason. And at the end of the day, I mean, with the AHL, just the way that the divisions are set out and geography and all that kind of stuff, other than playing Manitoba a couple of times during the regular season, Calgary actually hasn't had all Canadian battles. So there is a lot on the line. Obviously, you want to advance in the playoffs, but there's something to be said about these two teams that have a lot of animosity when you look at the big clubs. And there are all these connections. I mean, at one time, Calgary's farm team was in Abbotsford, right? <laughs> yep. And then you got players on Abbotsford that have ties to the Calgary Hitman, Jet Wu, Tristan Nielsen. And then you have a bunch of Calgary-born players, Matt Alfaro and Justin Dowling. So the connections are there and the animosity is high. So uh, I feel that it probably hasn't even reached its full bubbling point because after every single whistle, and I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say there's a scrum 
essentially every single time. These two teams hate each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just, I think it's one of those things where you kind of get sick of seeing each other, and you're right, Sandra. This was a season series that we saw so much of each other at the end of the season. Calgary gets a bit of reprieve, and so does Abbotsford. They got two games, you know, in the first round to get away from it, but that's really not a lot of time. You guys have seen so much of each other the last couple of weeks. They're probably just sick of each other at this point, and playoffs always make those things, you know, uh, exaggerated and bigger into 10. But you're right. I think watching the games, you can see the intensity. You can see the the level of sort of hatred that's building between these two teams, and I think it's no surprise that we sit here after three games and it's it's a 2-1 series, and we're looking forward to, to game four here on Friday. I have to go back and ask you, though, uh, how cool the experience was in Calgary for anybody that's missed it. I haven't had a chance to talk to you since those first two games at the Saddle Dome, the first two playoff games for the Calgary Wranglers at home since they moved to Calgary. You were up in the booth. You were here on Sportsnet 960 calling it. How cool was it to see the, the Dome a little bit more packed out, especially for game two, and to see the Wranglers come away with two overtime wins there? Well, first of all, I want to know how many more gray hairs I have after those first two <laughs> games because I was sick. I felt sick to my stomach. I felt like I was going to puke. And I can only imagine what it was like for the players because when you're going, you know, <laughs> when you're going to overtime, you just throw pucks on goal and anything, as we've seen in the NHL during the Stanley Cup playoffs, anything can end up in the back of the net, and you're just praying that it doesn't happen on your goalie and people go home disappointed. Because in a best of five, things can turn pretty quickly. So the fact Calgary was able to take advantage of those first two games and you get some really well-known names obviously scoring those goals, Jacob Pelche, Matthew Phillips, great comeback game in number two in front of family and friends. I know a lot of people are rooting for that guy. So it was awesome. And just how the plays developed and two sniper shots, both of them very similar, actually, just coming off that half wall that's closest to the broadcast booth and able to rifle it over uh, Arter Seelovs and Spencer Martin. So that was cool. But I got to go back to game number two. And I have to say, I was expecting a a big crowd. We had about 8,000-plus on hand. But that building absolutely exploded when Jerome Aginla came on the Jumbotron. Mm -hmm. I I didn't know he was there. So that came (laughs) as a complete surprise to me. So the reaction that you heard from Brian and myself was completely genuine. I had no clue. And I look up and I said to Brian, I was like, is that Iggy? And then the building explodes. He's got his Wranglers hat on. He's waving the pom-pom. I mean... It's just like the cards aligned. Calgary then scores a couple of goals in the third period, wins it in overtime. It was one of those nights you leave at the the Saddle Dome and you're going to remember it for a long time, I think. And just this city, it loves playoff hockey and it loves to support its team. So it's good to see people come out in droves for the Wranglers and hopefully, I mean, knock on whatever this might be here on this desk, but (laughs) Hopefully we're able to see a a round three because I I believe that that passion is there and it will continue to build. And this is a group that could potentially go far, but listen, there's still a lot of work to be done. Absolutely. Uh, Sandra Persina is along with us. She's the voice of the Calgary Wranglers. You can hear her the games right here on Sportsnet 960 uh, for this postseason run for the Wranglers. A couple of players I wanted to bring up with you and the one uh, that we have to start with, I think, Sandra, is Nick Simone, who scores the goal last night and extends his point streak to now three games, five points so far 
this postseason. And Nick's really one of those interesting guys to me because he's kind of what I look at as like one of those between guys, Sandra, where, mm-hmm. you know, he's not quite a young prospect anymore. He's played some NHL games with the Flames uh, and got some time. He's he's right in between for me, right? He's just on the precipice probably of making NHL rosters, but he's a very consistent AHLer, and it feels like he's been a very important part of that Wranglers decor and how consistent he's been and now showing out offensively early on in this postseason. Yeah, he's having a career resurgence, if we can call this, at the age of 28. I mean, he comes to the team, lots of experience, and he ties his career high in points, and he really just turned on the gas towards the end of the season, both ends of the ice. You touched on it there, but as the regular season was closing, last 15 games, he actually finished with a plus 11 and put up 18 points. So per point per game pace for a blue liner, and he logs a lot of minutes and he plays in all situations. You'll see him on the power play as a quarterback, he and Jeremy Poirier, and then you'll see him often killing penalties. So he logs a lot of minutes and he's really proven to be a stabilizing force for someone like Ilya Solovyov, who's still sort of trying to find his feet, even though it's his second AHL season, but he's still finding his footing. And to have somebody like Nick Simone to lean on, I, I think they've really formed a formidable pair as the, the top unit there for Calgary. But uh, what you see is what you get with Nick, and he's going to give it, and I'm throwing out an awful cliche here, but he's giving it a hundred. You always know he's going to give it a hundred percent every single night. There is no off switch with him. And if he makes a mistake, which has been quite rare, he works hard to make up for it. So if he gives away the puck, you know, he's going to go battle for it to get it back. He's a great leader. There's a reason he wears an A on this club. How's the uh, first couple of postseason games been for Jeremy Poirier? We know this is his first dive into pro hockey, and he's already accomplished so much in year one, but we know it changes when you go from the regular season to the postseason, Sandra. Uh, How's Jeremy Poirier looked out there in three games? He is such a blast to watch. He's been paired with Colton Pullman, so Colton does a lot of the heavy lifting defensively, but together they really form a really yin and yang pair, which is fun to watch, and You've seen it. I mean, Corey is already in the history books for Calgary. First ever goal for this franchise, scored the first overtime winner, and then scores his first postseason goal last night. And he's just, he's so active, great skater, loves the puck on his stick. He just loves to absolutely carve that ice. And people might say, well, he's an adventure out there. But I mean, if you can put that entire toolbox together, he's only 20 years old. He's only 20 years old. Six foot one, maybe could add a little bit of poundage to his mass. But other than that, I mean, the the sky is the limit with this guy. And I know Flames fans just coming off that disappointing season. And you're looking towards the Wranglers roster. And you've got all of the big names there. But you can't look past Jeremy Poirier. He's somebody that you should really be excited about. And he's just got the tools there. It's just about building up that toolbox. And I think under the tutelage of Mitch Love, he's really been able to to do that and he gives him the playing time to be adventurous and I don't mean adventurous in a negative way but when you do have someone on your blue line that's so offensively gifted you want him to be able to flourish and grow and blossom as his career advances so it's been kind of a a match made in heaven if I can use that term here. And uh, last individual, obviously, Dustin Wolf uh, has continued his great season, goaltender of the year, MVP, especially last night, Sandra. I thought early on 
Uh, Abbotsford was able to create a lot of offensive opportunities, and I thought Dustin did a really good job of of keeping his team in the game, and uh, no one should be really surprised about that. That's kind of the, the Dustin Wolf way of doing business. Yep, exactly, Logan. He's one of those guys that gives you a chance every single night. He gives this team run support sometimes when they're struggling, trying to find their footing. If they don't really start the game well, he's there, he's making the saves. And I think he'll probably be a little bit frustrated at himself after last night. But when you look at the goals, I mean, you've got tips. One of them was a turnover in the Calgary end. There's not a lot that he could have done to not allow those three goals. But for him, he is a competitor. He's there every every night ready to basically just whatever happened, the game before, the period before, the save before, that's already in the back of his mind. And he's not a super superstitious guy, but I think he's a routine-oriented guy. And we talked about this a little bit on the broadcast yesterday. Brian actually brought it to my attention because he's with the team all the time. And he mentioned that Dustin, so he has a specific helmet for home games, and then he has one for away games. And for whatever reason, maybe it was an equipment issue, like a strap issue or something that we don't know about, but he actually switched his helmet last night. So I don't know Mm. if he was trying to maybe give himself different vision in the game, adjust something within himself. But it's really interesting to watch those little intricacies that he has, like the jump that he does. I know Flames fans were like, what is he doing? He's (laughs) going to break an ankle when he played in that game versus San Jose. But he's always out there at the same time, taping his stick, visualizing before the game. He's a creature of habit, and he's just an absolute treat to watch. He's never down and out. Even if you think he is, he somehow gets a piece of that puck. Uh, and Senator, last but not least, before we let you go, game four coming up tomorrow night in Abbotsford. Uh, Wrangler's still in the driver's seat here and a chance to move on to the next round with a win. What do you want to see from this group in game four that maybe they lacked a bit in game three if they want to come out with a win? I would think the main thing for me is match the physicality. And I think Jet Wu has been really having his way a little bit with the Wranglers so far in this series through these three games. There's animosity there, and Calgary really needs to hone him in and control him a little bit more. I don't think, and that's no disrespect to the blue liner, but I don't think he's the most prolific player on Abbotsford. So you don't want more of a role player to be having such a – big difference in this series so find a way to hone them in and I think for Calgary get back to not worrying about always scoring on the rush create a bit of a cycle in the zone throw some pucks in on net and I wonder like I think back to this conversation that I had with Mitch Love about the midpoint of the season when Connor Zary he went on a cold streak like I remember he probably went seven, eight, nine games, and I apologize, I can't remember the exact number, but he went on a cold streak, wasn't putting up any points, and Mitch Love sort of sat him down, had a conversation with him, and said, listen, you're growing into this pedigree of being a first-round pick for a Canadian franchise. I know there's a lot of pressure on you, but you have to realize that you're not always going to score on the rush, you're not always going to score a one-timer on the power play, you're not going to go end-to-end every night scoring goals like you may have done in junior. You need to sort of buckle down, battle in the blue paint, you know, muck it up a little bit down low, in tight, take pucks off the end boards, and just battle in the goal area. And I think that message needs to be relayed to the entire team because you're looking at that second line to give you that secondary scoring, 
and they haven't really had it so far. Okay, and another thing I want to say, <laughs> i got to throw this out, Logan. Yep. During the broadcast yesterday, the mascot came into our booth and started banging a drum in our ears. Okay. I've never Whoa. had that happen. So listen, Finn, if you're listening right now, <laughs> there's going to be some payback here. <laughs> I don't know who greenlit that. But game four, I want that adjustment to be made right now. This is one of the most bizarre things that I've ever had happen in my my broadcasting career. I can, and, uh, I can tell you right now, I'm going to make sure that Blasty is up in the Abbotsford broadcast crew next time they come to the Saddle yeah. Dome. That is, that's crossing a couple lines, Abbotsford, and I'm not sure I'm okay with you. Oh. treating. First of all, you can't treat Sandra like that. Second of all... <laughs> Any broadcast crew, like I got Sandra's back, so you can't be Thanks, you're bud. crossing some lines here. That's uh that's a dirty pool by them. Yeah, so Finn, if you're listening, okay, it's mm. on. Abbotsford <laughs> asking for trouble there. Uh Sandra, look, you're the best. Uh, I always appreciate the time. You've been so great on the calls. You're back where you belong, uh calling games here on Sportsnet nine sixty and uh, have a great call tomorrow. Uh enjoy the game and hopefully we're talking about a Wranglers win next time we chat. Fingers crossed, Logo. Thanks for having me on. Take Anytime. Care, Thank you. Sandra Prasina, the voice of the Calgary Wranglers, right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Game four, Wranglers and Abbotsford Canucks goes tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. The Calgary Wranglers looking to advance to the third round of the playoffs in the American Hockey League and the Pacific Division final if they can get past Abbotsford in this best of five series. We will take a break, come back on the other side, kick it off hour two with a look at the Seattle Kraken as they look to go up two games to none against the Dallas Stars in round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. No hangover for this team after beating the defending Stanley Cup champions in round one. How does this fairy tale continue to roll on? We'll ask Everett Fitzhugh, play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken, all about them next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.